Welcome to Tax and Super Australia's podcast, Tax Wrap, where we share developments, news and insights for all tax practitioners and SMSF professionals. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share. We'd love to hear back from you, so send questions and comments, even suggestions for guest speakers, to podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode 186. I'm your host, Steve Burnham. Um, now, um, we have an election coming up, a national federal election, um, as everyone knows, uh, and I thought I'd get on the phone to Canberra, uh, specifically to uh, Ken Mansell, who uh, uh, does a lot of presenting for Tax and Super Australia, holds webinars, does a monthly tax update, does a lot of things for us, and Ken is a self-described tax tragic. He, he knows his stuff, and he's um, proudly nerdy about tax, which is, a, which is good, handy for us. Now, look, um, I thought I'd ask Ken about, uh, well, several things. Look, just to go over some of the things that the, the opposition are proposing, they don't seem to be uh, timid in um, taking some radical tax and super changes to the, uh, the May federal election. Brief summary, uh, the Labor opposition have announced... Um, that they're considering to remove the ability to get excess imputation credits refunded for many taxpayers, that's a big one. Uh, also to remove negative gearing deductions that can be applied against PAYGW income on all assets, not just residential property. Um, to reduce the CGD discount to 25%. Uh, introduce a minimum 30% tax on discretionary trust distributions, that's uh, possibly also another big one and uh, limit deductions on tax advice to $3,000 for, for non-business entities, to remove the deduction for personal contributions to super for those who are self-employed, also to remove the carry-back contestional contribution rules that uh, started on the 1st of July last year, um, to decrease the threshold at which Div 293 tax applies to $200,000. They also proposed to increase the value of the low and middle income tax offset to $530 from $530 to $928 for those earning between $400,000 and $120,000 and increase the floor of this offset for low income earners from $200 to $350. Uh, Also proposing to provide an immediate write-off of 20% for assets greater than $20,000 from 1st July 2021. Uh, Also to add back the temporary budget levy uh, temporary budget repair levy, if you remember that, to get the highest marginal rate back up to 49%, and uh, to make a series of changes to large business taxation, like removing the safe harbour rule from thin capitalisation, change the MEC rules for consolidated groups, reduce the public reporting rules for private companies from $200 million to $100 million, and to make the country-by-country uh, country transfer pricing documentation publicly available. So there's quite a few things there, but uh, as I said, there, there are a few main ones. The main ones, uh, I, in my view, and, uh, and I was chatting to Ken Mansell a little bit earlier in, in his view as well, the main ones are the changes to the cash refunds for franking credits, negative gearing, and the taxing of discretionary trust distributions. So look, I got on the phone to Ken uh, to see what he thinks. Ken Mansell, it's Steve Burnham. How are you going? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Um, we were talking earlier the topics of uh, the ALP proposed changes should they win the election. Um, can you got a minute to talk, talk about that? I have, yes, yes. yes. Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in the uh, cash refunds of franking credits, actually, Ken. What can, you, what can you say about that? Yeah, there are a lot of people interested in 
charts. Wow, it's a um, big thing. <laughs> yeah, an announcement that you know, was made over coming up on a year ago, right. and it's only now getting the, the noise that it probably deserved a year ago, especially as you see the polls not tightening as much as people thought they would. I think people are putting their minds seriously to the fact that from 1 July 2019, not too long away, yeah. they may not be able to get refunds of their imputation credits. No, that's amazing. And then the, and the, the start to think about what that might just mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I'll, I'll just... Like, and it's not everyone, and I keep making this mistake all the time. Yeah. So, so firstly, it is only refunds of imputation credits. If you've got lots of tax payable and you've got lots of imputation credits, then there's no problem there. Right. If, you're a, if you're a charity or a deductible gift recipient, there's no problem there. Right. And the uh, ALP, so they call it the pensioner guarantee, if you are receiving, you're an individual and you're receiving the age pension, disability support pension, carer's payment, parenting payment, new start or sickness allowance, yep. then you'll be able to get your refundable imputation credits as well. So it's not going to help, not going to hurt the, you know, the person who is pretty much on an age pension but just has a couple of shares from when they worked for an yeah. insurance company back in the 80s or something. Right, right. But I suppose, I mean, a large part of our audience are SMSF members, trustees. Yeah. What about those guys? <laughs> well, these are the two people. I'll, I'll do the SMSF. The first people who are going to get in trouble are going to be, you know, when you've got the high wealth individual who has the adults, children who are doing their seventh year of an arts degree at some <laughs> university right. and you just distribute, you know, $18,200 worth of frank dividends to them each year so that they pay no tax or grossed up 18200 and they get their refundable imputation credits back. So yep. there's going to be some problems there. You'll have to find have to find other types of income to send to those wonderful arts university students. Yep, yep. But the self-managed super funds are the real problem because most of our most of our franking credits are going to be at 30%. I know we've got base rate energy, but most of them are listed entities and they're going to be at 30, 30%. Right. And the, and the tax rate for a self-managed super fund is either 15% in retirement phase or zero, oh. sorry, 15% in accumulation phase yeah, or, f- or 0% in retirement phase. Right. And that's less than 30%, which means they will be getting these refundable imputation credits higher than their tax rate, they will find that they've got refundable imputation credits that they well, they can't use. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it really is bad for the those in retirement phase. Like if you're in accumulation phase, if you had a $70 franc dividend and you had $100 worth of rent coming into your self-managed super fund, right. you, you, you'd gross it up and you'd get the 30 dollars worth of imputation credits on the dividend, but you could you'd use fifteen dollars of the imputation credit to wash out the tax on the shares. Yep. And you'd take the other fifteen dollars and you'd use it against the rent. So in accumulation phase you can actually rebalance your fund so you don't have too many listed shares of dividend paying shares. Yeah. Yep. And you can avoid having refundable imputation credits. But as soon as you go into retirement phase, there's nothing you can do. No. Because no. There's, it's zero percent rate. Well, there is, people are suggesting there is one thing you can do, and that's bring in other members who aren't in retirement age. Oh, right. But yeah. So in other words, it's like if my wife and I are both retired and we have lots of imputation credits in our coming into our self-managed super fund, right? We're not getting any of the refund at all for them. But if we convince Josh and Ben now, now you know, twenty-five-year-old to come and join our self-managed super fund, right? And they're still making yeah. money and earning ta- paying tax. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, every time they make a contribution, it gets taxed at 15%, and that 15% will be reduced by the imputation credits that come in from the, okay. from the fund. But, so there, there are solutions to the problem. It's just the solutions require you, if you're in accumulation phase, to rebalance your fund, not based on what you want to hold, but based on what you need to hold. Right, right. And if you're in retirement phase, it requires you to convince your kids to put super into your super fund. <clears throat> and I know, Steve, if you've ever advised um, clients before, you, they never, there's never any issues in families. Families are always happy and friendly and they never yeah. get on each other's nerves. And yeah, so it's... Well, especially if I they, can just see... If they increase the um, ability to have more than four trustees to up to six trustees, I don't know when that's coming in, but... If at all. Well, it actually was, it was introduced into the parliament last week. Ah. So it is a bill. It won't get passed before the election. No, no <laughs> doubt So it. it'll have to, be, have to be reintroduced by the next, um, the next um, government, uh, whoever they are. Yep, um, <laughs> whoever they are. Yep, yep. Gosh. The, the real problem with the imputation credits is this, that there is another solution that no one who works with SNSF wants to hear. What's that? And the... the uh, App-regulated funds, industry and retail funds, oh. are already preparing for it. Right. They just they just create a wrap around certain listed shares. Yep. And they say, you so Ken and Vic, you're currently retired. You currently only own BHP shares in your self-managed super funds. That's a terribly good plan, but yep. that's all you own. Yep. Instead of owning in a self-managed super fund, take that money, roll it into our regulated fund, our industry or retail fund, yep. we'll put a wrap around it so it'll be treated as if it just owns BHP shares. Of course it doesn't, it's just an administrative treatment. Oh, yeah, and yeah. that's the return we'll get you and we'll give you the value of the refundable imputation credits into your fund. Oh, so, because yeah. that, that industry fund has infrastructure and foreign shares and it can use those those imputation credits all over its fund. Because there's other income, so, of course, yeah. Yeah, which means the easiest solution to all of those problems we've been talking about for self-managed super fund yep. is not to have a self-managed super fund. It's a tr- roll over no to one wants to hear that. No, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, the retail funds and, well, I suppose the industry funds, I mean, maybe not so much retail in the back of the Hain report, but um, maybe rubbing their hands together. They are, absolutely. Oh, gosh. And, oh, you dear. know, look... I, I, look, I'm, I'm not I'm not some crazy right wing nut job. I have worked for the Labor Party, but yep. it is interesting that the Labor Party would be bringing in a policy that assists industry super funds. You know, I wonder why they'd be doing that. <laughs> well, these are questions. I wonder that, why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah to I keep have it no in inside mind. knowledge, but it's mm. not surprised. Put yeah. It that way. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's an interesting thought. I actually hadn't thought about the possible tide towards. Um, non-SMSF super funds, but that is a possibility, isn't it, when you think about it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Ken, all right, uh, can we talk about negative gearing as the next one I'd like to uh, discuss? Yeah, this is, this is the, I don't know, the, the sleeper hidden behind the, um, the imputation credit. This right. is actually the policy for the last election that um, Bill Shorten ran against Tony Abbott, if you remember. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, against Malcolm Turnbull, if you remember previous Prime Minister, yes. So <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to keep track here. Um, yeah. No, no, it's, it's difficult. But, mm. but this, this is argued by Bill Shorten to be a housing affordability policy. So the idea is that by... 
stopping people from being able to offset their losses from their negative geared assets against their PAYGW income, right. their salary wage income, that that'll bring down the prices of houses if you read the, the documents they've got out. And it's, it's good to be clear on this. Uh, I, I, got to, I was really careful when I said those words. It's any asset that you negatively gear, you can't offset the losses against your PAYGW income except for one excluded class of asset, which would be new residential premises. So I just want to work through those three things. The first one is, if you go and you go to see your share trader, right. the share trader says, oh, I've got a really good tip for you, it's this mining company here, and you go and borrow money to buy those shares, you won't be able to offset the interest, you won't be able to offset the negative, the, the negative, uh, negatively geared interest on those shares right. against your PAYGW income. It's not just houses, and that's what everyone keeps thinking. It's well, just, yeah, I suppose people have been focused on it. No, you'll have to go, okay. Yeah, yeah the, and the share traders are petrified about this idea because let's say it is a mining company that doesn't generally pay dividends and you're hoping for capital growth. Right. Well, you won't get a duck deduction for any of those, any of that interest until you sell the shares because that the interest that you don't claim deduction for gets offset against the capital gain when you finally sell the asset. So the right. first thing to note is it's not just houses. It's anything that you buy that you negatively gear. And the big one's going to be shares. Right, it is, yeah. The, the, yeah. the second trick to this is you can't offset that those losses, those interest losses or all the other negative gearing things. You can't offset that against your POYGW income. And this is a problem that a lot of people haven't through it's good that it's that it's that way yeah you yeah. will be able to offset against your investment income and you like i was talking to a guy who works he's a partner in an accounting firm and of course he's got a everett trust arrangement where oh, he yeah. receives a salary yep. during the year and then some of the amount goes up to his trust and that gets distributed to his family tax effectively yeah and he's got rental properties in his own name and he's going, oh, this is awful. I won't be able to claim those deductions. And I said to him, well, no, yes, you will. Instead of getting a $200,000 salary from the business each year, which you can't offset those deductions against, yep. you should get a $150,000 salary and a $50 distribution from the trust, because a $50,000 distribution from the trust, because right. you will be able to offset your negative gearing losses against the trust distribution. Okay. Yeah. So I think I think it gives the answer to the the big problem here. This is really going to only affect people who only have salary and wage income. In other words, they're not involved in the running of the business. They are just workers in the business yeah. who have negatively geared property. So it, 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 if they've got any other form of income coming in, if they've got dividends, if they've got interest, if they've got you'll be able to offset the losses on that on those shares or the property against your other type of income. Okay, yeah. All right. the, the third risk, the third issue with this negative gearing is there are things that are excluded. The first one is new residential property. Well, while we don't have the law, it'll obviously be linked to the definition of new residential property in the GST Act. So if you're if it's new residential property on the contract, you'll be able to claim it. Right. And of course, the big exemption will be grandfathering. Anything, any asset you own before a certain date, oh, there. you'll be able to offset the losses. Now, what's that date? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> what, what could it be? 
So it's well, a, yeah. It, it could be if we go for the worst case. It could be Bill Shorten's budget reply on the fourth of April. Hmm. So the budget is on the second of April. Yep. He could on the fourth of April say we're locking it in today. It could be the one July two thousand and nineteen if they win the election, or it could be when the bill receives royal assent. So we hmm. don't know if you were really. If you're thinking of, you know, locking in your contract on either the 4th or the 5th of um, April, it might be better to do it on the 4th just so that just <laughs> you get it done before 7.30 yeah. when he stands up in the House of Reps and gives his budget reply. But I wouldn't... I don't... How likely is that? I can't comment. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's on, on, on the back of that also, Ken, I wanted to... Um, there's the uh, change to the capital gains discount proposed as well. Yeah, that, that's the last kicker in this policy is that they're also talking about reducing the CGT discount yeah. for every asset purchased after whatever this grandfathering date is right. to 25%. And that, that causes, everyone goes, oh, it's just a different number. It actually makes a really big difference. And so I'll do this quickly as I can. Right. If I said to you, should I buy some BHP shares in my own name or in my company's name right now, you'd say buy it in your own name. Why? CGT discount. Right. Well, let's go forward a couple of years. If I say the same thing, well, the CGT discount is only 25% now. Yep. And the company tax rate in a few years' time for base rate entities will be 25%. And the highest marginal tax rate if Bill Shorten wins will be 49%. Hmm. So should I get the dividends from this company into my own name and pay tax 49% and pay one quarter less capital gains tax? Or should I get the dividends into my company and pay only twenty five percent tax on on seventy five percent of the of the gain? Yeah, yeah, but only get a smaller capital gain. Mm. This is the it, it gets to the point where the company tax the, the the effective company tax rate and the concession is so low yeah. that the sort of CGT concession the discount you start to think. Well, maybe there are situations where I would give you totally different advice in three years' time than I would today. It's it's going to be a mess when we put all the things together. I've already done some spreadsheeting to see, you know, at what what dividend rate, what you know, increase in capital rate, and it does differ depending on, you know, how how many what do, what what's your return on your investment, what's the capital growth as to whether it's better over a five-year period, own it in your own name or to own it in your company's name. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it likely that they'll uh, apply to assets already owned or is, that, is there any setting, setting aside of those? Is no, that... they've been really clear on the negative gearing changes and the CGT discount changes that yep. they will not apply retrospectively. Ah, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so there will be a date, whatever that date will be, yep. and if you've entered into a contract before... 7.30 on that date, whatever it is, normally 7.30, yeah. Know what. Um, yeah, you'll be able to claim the 50% discount, otherwise it'll be a 25% okay. discount. Okay, oh gosh. All right, uh, now the other big one, Ken, have you got time to talk about uh, the taxing discretionary yeah. trust dispositions? What's, uh, <laughs> what's the deal, Delio? Well, <laughs> for as long as I've been in tax, there's always been that, oh, should we tax trust? Companies should we mm. get a company tax rate for trusts? I think I think even Joe and, Hockey uh, brought that up. Yeah, yeah, I know. Bill Shorten and uh, Chris Bowen seem to achieve it through the back door. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They've announced that they're going to bring in a discretionary tax distribution minimum tax. 
Now, it's not a tax on discretionary trusts. It's a tax on individuals who get discretionary trust um, distributions. Uh, distributions. Right. So you'll still end up with no tax payable in the discretionary trust if beneficiaries are presently entitled to the income. But unlike now where I go and distribute $18,200 to those university kids I was talking about before, my kids that are you know, doing their 27th year of their arts degree, <laughs> yes. and there's no tax, what will happen now is when they lodge their return, you work your way all the way down, you'll come to the conclusion there's no tax payable, and then under that it will say, well, what was the effective tax rate on your distribution? Right. The effective tax rate was zero, and it'll say, well, you have to pay a minimum of... 30% on that. So no. that 18200 that I sent to my kids will now be taxed at 30%, 6000 bucks. Yeah, yeah so to it, them. It, it's still, yeah, it's still better than me paying 47 now, 49 under bill short percent. Right. But it's, it's only 19% better rather than 49% better. Um, <sighs> there are a few exemptions. So, um, uh, um, you've got things like charities, testamentary trusts, deceased estates, and farming trusts. So oh, you still the, want to be using your yeah. testamentary trusts, and farmers get away with everything, don't they? So they're, he, well, they're, so they're exempting some certain beneficiaries. Yeah. You're saying, okay. Well, it's set a farming trust. So if you're a beneficiary of what will be primary production income, right. then it won't apply. So kids of kids of farmers will be able to get their $18,200 a year without okay. having to pay tax. Yep. But Kids that accountants won't be able to. No. Why? <laughs> that's a bit unfair. What if you're a farmer and you turn into an accountant? Anyway, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the, another the thing. The issue here is that, again, like with everything, I've said there are ways to avoid it. Um, there's, there's ways to avoid this. They're just a bit more risky than the other ones. Mm. Because if my kid, instead of getting an $18,200 distribution each year, came in one an afternoon in a week and did the filing at my accounting practice for me and I paid them a salary of $18,200, hmm. that's not covered by this new tax. So therefore, they would get it tax-free. Oh, I see. So that's it's a... going to be this game that people are going to be playing of, well, no, 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 my spouse isn't getting a trust distribution. The trust is paying my spouse yeah, yeah. for the work that she's doing or whatever. So <laughs> again, yeah. there are ways around it. It's just not as easy as it is once at the end of the year sending $18,200 to my non-working spouse. Right, yeah. right, yeah. But it will make people more creative, certainly. Uh, you know, get their thinking caps on about how to get around this. But, of course, they'll always come right. back at you and you get you somehow. Yeah, well, <laughs> the interesting thing across all three, if, we, if everyone in a self-managed super fund, also they will, but if everyone in a self-managed super fund moved their funds into a APRA wrap, yep. if everyone who had a rental property who had other sources of income or created other sources of income to use it, and if everyone who had a discretionary trust could actually, if there was a business involved, could actually pay out salaries, there'd be no increase in tax for the ALP at all. No. So let's, see what, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, this is another, uh, three other things to keep an eye on uh, for the I election. Know, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. All right, Ken, that is really enlightening. I'm really glad we had this chat. And um, thanks again for, on behalf of our listeners who have, have gained a lot from, the, from, from this. Uh, as nah, you said... We'll, it's all good fun. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just see what happens. All right, thanks very much for your time. We'll, chat, we'll chat again soon. Thanks.